0: A slip of the tongue may mean the difference between victory and defeat. With a quick mind and a ready smile. How to lose friends and infuriate people all in one easy lesson. Made possible only through years of research. If you are to impress them, you must interest them.
1: Truth and soul.
0: Truth and soul. Incorporated, the New Zealand advertising podcast. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Truth and Soul Incorporated podcast, already the most successful podcast I've ever done. So thank you for listening. Uh, And just in terms of some earlier uh, versions that we did, The number three with Mike Watson is apparently the least listened to uh, which I think is wrong. I think it's because he's not got a very interesting name. Sorry Mike, but that's true. Uh, I was talking to Lee from Lancashire who is an avid fan, listened to all four and he said that was in fact the one he most enjoyed. Um, And uh, Steve O from Oriwa uh, wants to do more. So he's going to send in a list. So hopefully that will work. Now. Uh, shout out to anyone in particular that you'd like to hear from. Today's podcast features Josh Moore. Josh is currently running Pitch Black Partnership with his merry band down in Drake Street. We talked about his adventures in New Zealand, Australia and London as he sought to make his way in the advertising world. Amongst others, he shares some interesting insights about the uh, To Is Year Right campaign and the, spe- and the spates, spates Pub to London campaigns. And don't worry, people put your evil tweets away. He doesn't actually claim to have done them, but uh, he has got some good background there. He also talks a lot about his time at y and the famous McWhopper campaign that won more than enough awards to break Steve Kane's suitcase. <clears throat> this podcast has been delayed as uh, Jonathan at Franklin Road had to spend quite some time editing down some of the juiciest stories, but I think there's enough to keep you interested without upsetting the lawyers. Thank you.
1: Ooh.
0: Uh, so hello everybody, today we are talking to uh, Josh Moore. Josh Moore is a Kiwi, a Kiwi ECD in New Zealand, which is uh, becoming increasingly common these days, didn't used to be the case. Uh, he, he started off in New Zealand, went over to Australia, came back to New Zealand and currently is managing partner.
1: No? Uh, yeah,
0: principal partner. Principal yeah. partner at... All sorts of made-up titles. Yeah. Um, at Pitch Black. So, uh, and I I think the... Uh, I, I don't know if Josh would agree with it, but one of the uh, you know extraordinary achievements of um, his career was when on um, New Zealand won Agency of the Year at d in London. But we'll, we'll come on to that in time. So, Josh, thanks for coming. It, if you could possibly start by giving a, um, how did you get into this business in the first place?
1: I started off probably entering a competition, the old original AXIS competition, which was a brief that was uh, printed in the full page in the Dominion or Evening Post at Wellington, which was a, I can't remember what the brief was for, but it was no doubt probably the fire department or um, some sort of first responder, kind of a brief to how do we we get more people into, actually I think it was the police. How do we get more people into oh, the, sorry, into yeah. police? I thought you were yeah. applying for the police. So that's no. curious because Regan
0: Grafton was uh, exactly the same. He did this. So did did you know what advertising was had before you, or you just went, "This looks interesting"?
1: No. So I was at uh, design school in Wellington, and one of the papers was was advertising. So I went into design school with the ambition to be a children's storybook illustrator. Any hmm. particular reason? It looked easy. Um, it just looked like fun. It looked like a you know it looked like a genuine career path. It was. I think it was just illustration in general, and then sort of at a certain point in time, it was like, I'm oh, children's yeah. storybooks seem a hell of a lot more fun than anything else. Mister Mean probably inspired by Mister Mean series. Oh, okay. some pieces. Yeah. So you know, a successful giant uh, children's storybook series. Which one are you, Mister Tickle? Probably would be a good one.
0: I, I left when I left Didi. Was it DDB? Yeah, when I left DDB, they gave me a card. It was it was Mr. Grumpy. I don't.
1: don't I don't understand that. that just I don't, doesn't, I don't that know doesn't where that, sit, where it? that came no, from. No, no, doesn't seem like it. It's being well. ironic. Anyway, the um, so, <clears throat> they, so yeah went into design school to to be an illustrator, and then advertising sort of popped up, and it seemed to be a combination of all the skills that you were you were learning at design school plus ideas, which didn't seem to be a big part of um, some of the other. Kind of courses that you could take, um, or directions you could kind of follow. It seemed to be, it seemed to be a hell of a lot more adventurous. We had tutors that would come in from Saatchi's. They were generally a bit drunk in hindsight, but they were very um, in the morning, or the- <laughs> sort of uh, early, early afternoon, yeah, yeah late morning. Yeah. But they seemed to be doing things that were a hell of a lot more fun. Like of, of, of all the. Yeah, different sort of design fields, You people that you meet from all the different design fields. So the, the advertising guys seem to be the ones who are doing things that are really interesting. It was obviously really public. I remember the campaign that uh, probably persuaded me to get into advertising was something art directed by Len Cheeseman, and it was a DB breweries campaign. But it was this beautifully um, crafted typography. It was all um, found woodblock. Um, you probably still remember it. It's like a stunning billboard campaign. Yeah, all just all found woodblock um, from a printer's press. And then beautiful little, I think, the l- little kind of pack shots. Just really, really clever headlines and really, yeah. really well crafted. Not, um, not, not that Lem would have had anything to do
0: with the headlines, but it, it's curious that he that he w- was um, had an influence on you starting out in, in your career because when I was in London, he was one of the tutors on the course before he. Uh, came out here so he, yeah, would, right. he was uh, teaching me and Mike O'Sullivan who I was working with at the time uh, attempting to teach us about typography using letter set which um, wasn't great and he, he subsequently I, I met him at a ward about 10 years ago and he, and he told me that, that I think the implication was that we were responsible for the demise of New Zealand
1: advertising so Len if you're listening
0: true. be <laughs> probably yeah. very true uh, more than happy to have you on and, and have a chat but
1: sorry Josh. Yeah no no it was um, getting to the end of that I think it was like three years or something up came this I, th- I think maybe we went into Saatchi's to say you know how do we get into advertising mm. um, and we we're told that there's a brief that comes out in the newspaper which in hindsight is something that we should do now because it was it was really 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 good like once you got in you met a real breadth of people. Yeah. So it wasn't probably as it is today when you're sort of everyone's 17. I think we were probably the only probably the only 20 or 1-year-olds I think there was a so there were the quite a few older people had. Yeah, to totally. there was a yeah. there was um oh Hugh I think Hugh Hill Hill was, was in there I think Crikey. um who and he was a policeman or something is that right No Glenn Wood was a policeman all uh, right I think, well, or maybe were. it wasn't there, Maybe it was someone else. There was definitely a policeman in there. Yeah, um, there's always one. Then I think that year there was Lucian Law was in there. Cray. Um, who else? There's definitely and Lucian's partner, uh, and, uh, Leon. I think Leon might have been in there as well. Seymour Polk was in that. Yeah. And I th- then I think Tim Hughes. Had, I think Tim Hughes was in the same course, or maybe he'd gone and. The year before, I can't quite remember. But it was a, yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic way in.
0: Yeah.
1: It's interesting that uh, that, that, that such
0: a formative part, all those people who are still in the industry now, the, the guys that I went to, to college with in London 30-odd years ago, and I still keep in touch with them through the magic of Facebook.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah. No, I think it was just because it was the first filter as well, yeah. so you had to answer an actual brief. You had to come up with an actual idea. So you probably got more out of that one brief than you did of sort of six months at um, in another course. Yeah, and that was that was really good. So that was then really intensive you had to come to Auckland, um, which was a big deal for coming from Wellington where I'd never actually been to Auckland. So came up here, did the week's course. I think you went back down, and then they put us into Goldsack Harris, um, run by a guy called Ross Goldsack, who I still know very well today. Yeah, and the first. Job we had unpaid job we had in there for about six months was writing um, Tui billboards, so that was probably the best, uh, from an art director's point of view. wasn't But but this was before year right. (coughs) I'm guessing this was year right. Yeah, so I think year right had been it had been created at Mojo, I think, but then they'd lost the account, sort of gone to, and I think they must have lost the account really early on because a lot of the billboards. Uh, that are in there's a little book of classics that of year right uh, billboards, and we, we've got a yeah. lot of the billboards that are in there, and they're from the time at, at Goldsick Harris. So I don't, not sure whether year right had been sort of that well formed um, before the account moved. So I don't know what the politics behind that account moving, but yeah. Well,
0: I, I know that uh, I think Richard Maddox, I, I don't think he would claim to be the main instigator, but I'm yeah. pretty sure he worked on it at Mojo. I think it was
1: Daryl Parsons.
0: Might be. Oh, I th- I thought it was uh, Sean from Aussie Cummins. Cummins, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, you're right. yes, yeah. Uh, he, he's uh, yeah, definitely
1: in the room. If yeah, right. if not the main instigator, I th- yeah. it's a, it was a funny campaign that because it was so no one really rated it at that at that point in time. So we were the you know we were the interns. It was like here's these sort of yeah. for, uh, formulaic billboards. No one can really be bothered working on it. Yeah, you just take them and just, you know, just write. Just just write a hundred of them and we'll we'll pick a few. But they actually were really it's really, really good. It was incredibly disciplined because you only had like six words and you had to paint a picture. You had no art direction because it was black on white. And yeah. the the trick they'd come up with was I think effectively just sticking up
0: a straight type on the middle of
1: it. Yeah, yeah. so the so the bill would yeah, remain the same the whole time and they'd just post a new a new um, I think it might have even been paper. They just print stick paper over yeah, top. for yeah, it would be nice and cheap. Yeah. So that was pretty good. So you go out on the weekend. You were the target market. So you go out on the weekend, have a good time, do something stupid, and then turn it into a billboard on on Monday morning.
0: It, it's interesting. I think that uh, often with with great campaigns when they first come out, people are like, "Yeah, no, it's okay." Mm. But after, the, like, um, Goldstein came out first. It came out. Everybody hated it. So, it, mm. so it was rubbish. But once it, it gets into culture and people get used to it and they, they, they write their own ones and it adapts. So.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it was probably the beginning of people uh, seeing that platforms could be amazing, hmm. amazingly powerful. And that, you know, like you look at um, uh, Pack and Save, so a stick man now, it basically was a yeah. stick man. Yeah. Yeah. But, he, but in a lot of streets probably even smarter because it was just cheap billboards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you could put them up. And I think probably the other thing that was was clever like the the fact that they could just paste up some A3 type on the over the top of the billboard. Yes, was yeah. just meant they could be so quick. So yeah. it was actually probably the from a social commentary kind of point of view, probably one of the first campaigns to be as fast as a digital banner. Yeah, um, you know, idea it it could be thought of on a on a Saturday and be up there by Tuesday at least. At a few, you know, billboards around. Around town, that sort of stuff it was pretty cool. You're listening to Truth and Soul, the New Zealand advertising podcast. Yeah, I was at God's Take Harris for a while, so we had the we had the privilege of doing year-right billboards. Um, so that was cool. So we did that for a while, and then um, and at the time, this was with Seymour Pope, my creative partner, and so that. But that was an unpaid intern job, and so even then, sort of in Wellington, there wasn't a hell of a lot of paid junior creative jobs. And then we got a phone call from some uh, friends of ours from Wellington, um, who'd moved to Auckland, and were working at Mojo. Greg and Tony, who are a, uh, art director copywriter team, and they said they've got a they'd, they had a new job at somewhere called Generator, which is this mm. new new very cool, um, independently owned agency, and they were leaving Mojo, and they were asked to you know if there's some uh, team they could recommend to fill their fill their Mojo job, so. They recommended us. We got a call from Lockie McPherson um, and he said if you can be here tomorrow uh, for an interview, I'll consider you. So we had no money. I think we had about, um, I had about 300 bucks between us, which was enough for a tank of gas. There and back. So jumped in the car, in a borrowed car, drove to Auckland, got there in time for the interview. And we had this very... Piercing character called Daryl Parsons come and um, analyse our, our. The book.
0: enigmatic Daryl yes, Parsons. Yes, so yeah. we thought
1: we are getting sort of Lockie, who we'd managed to find a picture of, because there was no sort of internet, so we to find a picture of him. No and podcast. To tell you what he's like. <laughs> There's No podcast. And, um, but then this guy, sort of with his cap on backwards, kind of came into the room, flicked through the book, muttered some sort of positive things, said, Don't worry about what Lockie says. Um, you've got the job, or you'll get the job, or something like that. <laughs> and I think so. They obviously had some sort of plan to play good, good cop, bad cop. Um, so Lucky kind of came in and sort of looked at it like it was, you know, pretty, pretty ordinary. And um, and then and then so we sort of left, not quite knowing what that. We didn't get off of the job, so we didn't quite know the hell what was going on. And then we got a call late on a Friday saying if you can be at work on Monday, you've got the job. So I think we're driven back to Wellington by now. So we had to pack up everything and drive to Auckland, be there on, move to Auckland and over the weekend. Yeah. Um, But that was awesome. So we're in in Mojo getting paid, I think, $18,000 a year, which was not a lot of money, but working on some really cool stuff. So And we're immediately working with Mikhail Gurman, Lockie, Daryl. I think Hanko, Paul Hankinson was there at the time. Yeah. Yeah, we arrived there and um, I think there must have been post- Michael Sullivan. He must have moved on to, must have gone to Colenso. Maybe at that point. Um, so yeah, it was a really, really good uh, bunch of people and a, and a very fun agency dedicated to to great ideas. You know, the whole the whole thing was about you know, is it a great idea or not? There was sort of never never really seemed to be any clients who were there for some kind of run of the mill, formulaic nonsense. So that was, it was really, really good. The um, yeah, Macale was an amazing art director from a. You know, who focused on fashion, but really is bloody, he's just good at anything. And Lockie and Hanko were just great, you know, great ideas people. Hanko's brilliant writer. Yeah. You know, Lockie's a great art director. So, yeah, really good people to, to learn from. And then, of course, Daryl was there sort of pushing the envelope on pretty much everything yeah. the, the entire time. So, yeah, there's just really good mentors. It was a, it was, which was just pretty, yeah, which in hindsight was massively important, I suppose, at that time. Um, and we got to make Helen and Glassens' ads. Yeah. Um, which probably one of the best. Um, after having done the year eight stuff, was, it was probably equi- equivalent in TV. Uh, simple two-shotters. Had yep. to have a great idea.
0: So what was your favourite um, Glassons stroke, Helen Steins ad?
1: So um, try and
0: look it up, put it on the website.
1: Favourite one is probably the two two blokes in a car the, with a missing windscreen wearing their skin. Gear gear and driving in a storm, um, so so I think it's called something like yellow. It's called station wagon. Yeah. Um, so you just open on. Two guys have obviously lost their windscreen on the way to the mountain. Um, they've got their goggles on. It's a blizzard. The windscreen's completely, completely gone, and it was for, I think it was it was for a, two polar fleece, for fifty dollars, and a free t-shirt. And when you. So, the nice little tracking shot goes down the side of the car, and the t-shirts um, jammed in the um, in the gas tank instead yeah. of a gas cap. Yeah. Um, and that was just yeah, it was great, great tracks. Like we could, I think the way it worked is, you wrote the spot. You had to obviously have great uh, shots of the product. Um, so the polar fleece were, you know, you had to had to frame up the polar fleece really really well a shot. But the um, things like white t-shirts, you know, you could just jam them in a in a gas tank. So it was it yeah. was pretty. Um, it was pretty loose. It was before there was any real road rules about what you could and couldn't show. Um, obviously, today you couldn't have a missing windscreen, um, no gas cap. But yeah, there's a lot, hell a lot of fun and freedom that you, you know, basically whatever you came up with um, for Helen, Sons, and Glassons pretty much got got through. And it was a great experience from the point of view that you'd then watch um, Mikhail would be sort of sitting at his desk, he'd ring Tim Glasson and talk through the scripts and get them approved. And it was the first probably. Understanding of, okay, it's actually about the client relationship, not about, um, not just about you've got a great idea and someone should just buy it. Um, You've actually got to be super, super tight with the client and the client's got to be brave. So, from from Mojo? Uh, From Mojo, what happened? So, Daryl Parsons um, was probably the bit of a um, hotshot in the industry at the time and he got poached to go to FCB across the road. And he was there for, I think, about a month and rang up one day and said, "Um, come to FCB. There's some great briefs. They don't make any good work, which looks like opportunity. So we went over there and it was a very, very traditional agency. It was so different to my job. It was, like, unbelievable. But Muzzah was there. So it's where I met Murray uh, Watt, who was just, yeah, phenomenal writer so it was, yeah, he was fantastic. I mean, just incredibly hard working and writer-stroke farmer. Writer-stroke farmer, yeah, absolutely. So he spent, yeah, seemed to spend all of his time writing in order to pay for his farmer. I yeah. couldn't quite couldn't quite figure out how, how that worked, but just mm. as such a good bloke and yeah, really good, real real talent and really down to earth. Um, so he probably probably was the person who kept everyone reasonably sane. Daryl would spend most of his time he'd made a bed under his desk so he would seem to spend most of his time asleep under the desk because he had a what was the i can't remember what it was he had a sleeping issue he couldn't sleep at night so he would do all of his ideas at night and then come in and sleep under the desk where he could be kind of tapped on the shoulder if anyone needed him so it was quite yeah it was probably more eccentric at fcb than it was at Mojo, weirdly it's <laughs> advertising possible. it was not it's definitely not the fcb that it is today and i, I can not i'm not even sure if any a lot of the FCBs have stuck around for a long, long time, but I'm not sure if there's anyone from the Parnell days still in that uh, still in that business. But yeah, and then we had it was it was quite fascinating. Then we had this um, oh, who was the CEO? He's like the nicest bloke in the world. Really, really lovely guy. But he had a I know, he had an issue, he had some sort of stomach pain. Not continuous true, mate. stomach pain. No, I don't think so. So he would, he would put a sort of a towel under the door in his office, and smoke a lot of pot. So it was um, there was always this sort of like, in this really conservative agency, this really sort of quite loose CEO. But you wouldn't see a lot of him. He'd just be yeah, he to, he'd obviously getting a lot a lot done behind the door, and a, and a, and, a, and everyone sort of just accepted it. He just had this. It was sort of medicinal marijuana. He had this kind of constant problem, um, but yeah, there was just it was, it was a strange agency from the point of yeah. view of just the the contrasts are just amazing but great you know. great from storytelling oh know, totally the point of view, totally yeah. so i think what happened there so i i then got a call from ollie Maisie at generator where all of kind of my um creative peers or guys i you know met about the same agents i've had all sort of ended up saying i've got a um great role for you can you um can you come and start and that coincided with the week when i was trying to sell this Raro commercial that I absolutely loved—that the client had actually bought for the first time—like a really, a, a funny idea for, for powdered sugary pineapple drink or mm. whatever it was—and it was, um, what was it? And the, I the brief on Raro was something like it's for clever kids, so the it was set in a uh, swimming pool in, um in a Fiji resort. Um, the kids turn up in the in the morning to get to the pool, and it's packed. This you know it's overpacked with thousands of, hundreds of kids, so parents and the elderly or whatever, and this clever kid jumps in the pool with an open packet of pineapple raro in his um, in his pocket, creates this enormous yellow stain, stain. everyone points at it runs screaming from the pool, and then his mates who are hiding in the bush jump in and they have the whole pool to themselves. And um, it was, yeah, the client had pretty much bought this, thing, well had bought it, and then that particular creative director, whose name we can't remember, unsold it, like blatantly in a meeting and said it was far too edgy. This was where I think it was the production meeting we were actually sitting in when he decided to unsell it. Hmm. Um, and, yeah, that was, I think we had words after that. And, and what happened? Then the next day I got called into work and he took me into the boardroom, gave me a cheque for uh, like five and a half grand and said, right, you've got to go. Um, but, you know, we'll give you this cheque to sweeten it. So I took the cheque and, and the foolishly said... I actually already have a job at Generator. I'm starting in a week, which in hindsight he was actually very good not to Snack
0: to uh, back.
1: to ring a, the accounts department and cancel that check. Um, so, yeah, so that was, yeah, so I was pretty much got fired, but at the same time I already had a new job and then I got a bonus check, which was, yeah, which was pretty cool. Good times. It was good times. So then went off to Generator, which was this r- r- real hot shop. At the time that was owned by, I think, Bates Palace had just bought it, whoever the owners of Bates Palace were. Was that WPP? No. It was, it was Bates. It was, was Bates. It, Bates it was Network. The, yeah. Yeah. So they just bought Generator, the independent agency, so that was then owned by James Mock. Well, the partners were still James Mock, Andrew Stone, Nick Bayliss and Matt Simpkins. Um, and then Ollie Maisy had been brought in to be the um, new creative director because they sort of decided that they needed some... Uh, stronger creative leadership. I think James Mocker decided he wanted to be a strategist, and S- Matt basically decided he was sort of wanted to have a little bit of a break after I think five years or seven years of building Generator. Yeah. Um, so they brought in Ollie. So Ollie and Ollie brought in um, Tim Hughes, myself, Seymour Pope, Martin Brown was there, who was amazing. Then Nick and uh, then Chris. Schofield and Billy McQueen, yeah, and so there was this fantastic department. So it was really like all it was a ho- whole bunch of teams that have been winning quite a decent number of awards. At, so Access all came together. It was Martin and Ollie doing doing a lot of the work. James Mock coming in and doing a lot of like art direction every once in a while, but mainly I think focused on strategy. And that was a, yeah, that was a great.
0: I'm just thinking all of those all of those characters are around
1: now. Still yeah, in the absolutely. And that, and that was probably about
0: eighteen years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so Early
1: 2000s? Yeah, um, Schofield, Chris and Billy are at um, Shine. Yes. Uh, I think they're both partners in Shine. Brown is at Shine. And Martin's at Shine. Um, Tim is ECD at True. Yeah. Um, Seymour's a director um, based in Wellington, and sort of, sort of writing and directing based in Wellington. Um, so, yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, Ollie picked a great... Um, great team, was a hell of a lot of fun, and it was that sort of stage in the agency. It was a, it was sort of a reverse takeover of um, Bates Palace. So you had this kind of highly motivated um, management team who were really into, really into good ideas. Um, so it was sort of perfect timing, and that went, that went pretty well for sort of two, two or three years, and then it was that classic sort of earn out <laughs> phase. And um, so the, uh, yeah, probably some of the focus came off from a, from partners point of view and fair enough you know they, they made their money and yeah and then I think the agency sort of probably lost a little bit of direction at at that point you're listening to truth and soul, soul. soul. then Sima and I went over overseas for 12 months went off to um the UK mm-hmm. where did you um, work there so that's a that's a funny story so we knew James oh that was his name Who's New Zealand I'm glad CEO, I'm, I'm not the only one who forgets CEO names. CEO of, um, Saatchi and Saatchi. The guy who James runs, Hall. Is it Hall? Hall. James Hall. Yeah. it is James Hall. James Hall, who now owns Shine, part of Shine. Is yes, that James Hall. Yeah. I'm, not, I, I'm not sure he's still. Yes, I think he is still. So we um, we had a job organised with um, with James at Saatchi's in London, but we didn't have a, a contract. And in hindsight, I remember thinking this is probably a little bit a little bit dodgy. But we had a really good book. We'd won a lot of good awards. It was like the perfect timing to go go offshore. Um, and so instead of going through a recruiter, we uh, made a few calls through people that we knew, and bits and pieces. And this job was arranged for us. And we were told to turn up on a certain day in London, rock into rock into Saatchi's, and it would all sort of be. Who, who was the creative not, director then? I had no idea. No idea. So it was all organized <laughs> organized through James. And it wasn't sort of in the the days when it was necessary that easy to just sort of you know dial up the internet and yeah. find out find these things out. And we would have thought that. To your, to he might have mentioned it to someone. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of would have been mentioned. Um, there probably would have been some slightly more formal, formal emails than just rock up. So then we got a call from James's P This having kind of moved an entire life, sold cars, sold everything, blah blah blah. Gone to London, found a flat. Got a call on this Monday to say, "Oh, uh, James has got a really really big." week on this week come next Monday. And this sort of happened for a couple of Mondays. I was like, oh, here we go. This is not good. Um, So then we went in, went to see him and he said, guys, I've just got really bad news. Um, I resigned on Friday. um, So now I don't really have the clout (laughs) to organise your job. I was like, but the job, and I, I was the first one to say, but the job's, what do you mean? The job's organised. We're, I actually was hoping you are going to tell us that we could get some back pay for the two weeks that we'd yeah. been sitting around. Um, and then he sort of promptly said, oh, no, no, well, look, there's, um, I do. I am still good friends. This was the sentence that was kind of reasonably disturbing. I am still good friends with the creative director in direct marketing. So I was like, oh, great, so you're mm. not friends at all with the, the creative director in in the part of the business that we're supposed to be working in. So then we met that guy who then promptly said, well, you've kind of not really got any DM in your book at all. <laughs> so I'll give you a call if there's uh, some campaigns that come up that require, require skills. So we freelanced around um, London for oh, like six, seven months. And that was good, actually. It was quite cool. It wasn't quite as simple as having a real job. but um, And then we went, got a call from recruiter one day to say come into AMV BBDO what's it just AMV then? Yeah. Um, to meet these two creative directors called and I think it was just nicknames who were given like little and large. Um, my god that's what their names are. That, but that's, that's the way it works in London? I think yeah. they might actually still or for, and up until quite recently they were they were the um, CCOs of that agency but we went to meet them rocked into their office there was just I just remember this wall of Awards, which was reasonably intimidating, in a very cool office, and they looked at a book and they said, "Oh, this is all very fashionable advertising at the moment." I'm like, "Oh, is oh, that good or bad?" What, what exactly does that mean? And they were like, "Well, there's not a lot of copy. It's all, it's all simple visual ideas with a logo and a couple of words." Um, and they looked to see more. I was a partner with the time, and said so. where is, you know, so you're the copywriter, and he was like, "Oh, but I, you know, like I do ideas too. Like I'm, I'm doing." I'm doing the ideas too. I mean, I, I know there's not a lot of copy, but so it was a sort of bit of an awkward moment. And then they said, "Oh, this kind of this is not really our cup of tea." So we were, we were like, "Oh, this is not going well." And then they said, "Oh, but there's this guy down the corridor called Nick Worthington, and he's into this kind of stuff in a kind of dismissive manner." And then <clears throat> we thought at the time it sort of sounds like a bit of a bit of a brush off. But then the next morning we got a call from Nick's PA to say, "Can you come in?" tomorrow. So we thought, oh, well, there's some sort of reasonable urgency to this. This sounds like there's actually a potential job. Rocked in there. So they all had the same shelving systems and we were very impressed by Little and Large's um, collection of, of awards. Uh, then we worked in, walked into Nick's office and he had so many awards that there were sort of the classic photography extension support poles um, under his shelving system to support it from collapsing off the wall. And that was... Seriously intimidating. I don't think I've ever seen so many yellow pencils, and uh, what is it? London Internationals are the ones with the wings and the.
0: I'm pretty sure
1: strange. that nobody in those days bothered to enter London International. There was some sort of can't remember quite what it was. Uh, something to do with a um, maybe it was a man or a woman with a bow and arrow or something. Ah, uh, British television. Right, right. A lot of a lot of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mainly just a hell of and a hell of a lot of lines. Um, so that was and then that was a really good interview so we sat down with him we went through the book and he he really liked it and then it's sort of halfway through that interview it's there started to be a lot of questions about New Zealand a lot of questions about um, mojo in particular and yes we'd work there and yep 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 we'd actually just come from there not so long ago what the characters were like in mojo and you know what the what the state of the industry was in bits and pieces. So we got to the... We kind of went through all of that and we're like, oh, there's a lot of questions about, you know, where we've been working in bits of pieces. And then he said, right, it's um, so really keen to offer you a job. It's at Mojo in Auckland. <laughs> um, which we were like, this is not really... Why is nothing panning out at this point? Yeah.
0: So, so if the only initiated, mm. there might be some... Uh, Nick Worthington was uh, at the time highly regarded and highly awarded creative in London and... Was on his way down to come in as I don't know what the title was in those days. Creative director the, of yeah. Mojo.
1: I think he might have been the yeah the first ECD we Mojo's first ECD maybe yeah. It was definitely something. It was you know it was like senior creative. It was definitely there was a lot of creative directors in Mojo at the time, so it was definitely whatever the title was. It was above that. Yeah, no, it was ECD because at the same time there was Darren Spiller, was the regional ECD, and remember they would used to have few tense words about who was the how many ecds you could have in the network
0: i know from Um, the from the outside looking at mojo it was very difficult to understand any hierarchy of
1: i think during that second tour of mojo the um it was it was pretty clear when you're in there i think because the clients were quite diverse so
0: so so sorry just to go
1: back so Mm. you so you took that job? So no, you're so, we, so we politely declined yeah. um, because we were in London and you know we basically had sold everything. It's a long commute. It is, yeah, it was great. And it just we kind of still felt like the the freelancing. We're getting to see a hell of a lot of places. is kind of interesting. And there was a there. Were, I think Fallon had just opened up, and we kept flirting with. Fallon. So we kept sort of having different conversations. With them working on freelance briefs. That, was pieces. that uh, uh, Flintham? Richard Frintum? Uh, I think so. Yeah, that rings a bell. And it was the co- it was a really cool agency. So you go to AMV, we did did amazing work, but it was still felt quite corporate. And, yeah. Um, but you go down there and it was you know the, the whole the whole place was yeah had a lot more fun. I think the all the there were no offices. Everything was des- divided by sort of butchers. Um, aprons hanging from the ceiling kind of thing like you know the classic mm. sort of white plastic and um lot of my first experience of indoor astroturf um that kind of stuff and it just looked like a hell of a lot of fun um and their style of work was really good so we were kind of still sort of holding up for a for a great role and then we got a call from nick's pa probably a month after he got talking saying like you guys need to come back there's a hell of a lot of great opportunities here. More client, you know, more clients coming in the door. So we said no again and then I think we got really poor. So
0: that, that Nick was calling up from Auckland. Yeah, gives us, yeah. give
1: us a call from Auckland. And then I think yeah, we got properly poor. And I remember sitting we we're sitting there one day going, Oh shut up, wonder if there's still a job and then the next day they ring. I think we got into summer and the agency's basically closed. There was just no work. So it was this sort of is that mid year everyone goes on holiday and In London. Yeah.
0: It's not it isn't like um Auckland the first time I came to auckland i came I arrived in November and you know worked for a month and then they say Christmas is coming up and they said yeah i I, I won't take much time off because I don't really know anyone and they mm. went but the office is shut for three weeks right like, mm. but what, what am I supposed to do?
1: yeah, it was pretty much so, I mean yeah I remember it just suddenly we went, we had all this all this different freelance and then we talked to the recruiter, one day and they're like, oh just not going to be any work for about kind of six weeks. All oh, all I, I was never are, aware of that in London. I maybe I was the around. one
0: doing all the work while everyone else was at the
1: beach. Yeah, maybe it was just there was all the credit directors were gone, so there was no one yeah. there to decide who was going to do what. But yeah. at that point, we were pretty poor, so we decided, yep, time to come home. So we got back to Mojo, and Mikhail was still there, Lockie was still there, I think Hanko was still there, and then started to fill in the team kind of even more. So we had we have I think Lean Cheeseman actually came on staff. Yeah. Chris and John. From, From Starchy's Wellington. Wellington. John Plummer? Yep, John Plummer. Chris Bleakley came on board. So and I think that yeah, they I can't remember whether they were full time, but they were in the office for sort of two two or three days a week. So, so just so.
0: back to London, did you hmm. get anything out
1: of any consequence? Anything that you're afraid of? No. Nothing. Yeah. No, absolutely nothing at all. So no.
0: you're back at Mojo for the second time.
1: Yeah, back at Mojo for the second time, but it's but it was sort of quite different. It was, I mean, it was always a really energetic agency, but now it was much bigger. So kind of, I think first time we were there, there was maybe sort of fifty odd people, um, and now it was sort of closer to a hundred. So yeah, so it was sort of it, from a creative point of view, it was a fantastic time. Yeah. Like every, I think there was over the period that we'd been away, they picked up a lot of quite dull client, um, as well as the great ones that they sort of had. So it was all about bringing those clients up to up to speed with proper mojo work. So there was always, and Nick was very good at fi- figuring out how to turn a Hewlett-Packard, for example, into something interesting. Mm. Some of the brands that I think probably he had more experience on from a international or, or London-based kind of point of view, yeah. where he could kind of actually go, no, actually we can do something really good with that. Whereas I think in the past we'd sort of gone, oh, I'll just let these things, let them You know, we'll do the best we can, but let's not try too hard. Nestle was the same. The work started getting much better for Nestle. And then, yeah, the standard. I mean, Bluebird was always great for good creative concepts. We had Coca-Cola, Spates, obviously. We started to get picked up big bear accounts. And then in the car space, I think we dabbled. We used to do a lot of work for Toyota out of Australia. So Toyota was a classic kind of mojo client over in... Mm. And Sydney and those briefs started to spread around. So I had the next influence. I think the, the realm of, or well, the breadth of the briefs used to come from Australasia rather than just New Zealand. So it suddenly started to get, yeah, a bit more interesting. So we did. Um,
0: How long were you there the second time around?
1: Um, second time, I think it was maybe three, three years, two years, three years. Yeah, it was a good. What was your favourite bit of work at that time? Good chunk of time. Probably the Hewlett Packard campaign which was really cool, it was actually, was actually a DM. Not, not, not a sentence I've heard before. Yeah, no, and, I've ne- and a client I've never, ever come across again. Yeah. But it was a campaign for every year they had this huge Hewlett-Packard technology sale and we came up with an idea of, and everyone was still... They were trying to get people out of fax machines and into high-end copiers that could do faxing and all sorts of stuff as well. Sorry, at
0: children, time. fax machines were <laughs> a way of
1: communicating. Fax machines weren't even something from my generation, but yeah. this was for for people who were for, l- from serious legads. Yeah. Um, and a fax machine was for what was it? Sort of, sort of like the worst version of a photocopier that you could send yeah. images around the world. That, that, highly that, pixelated and
0: they were. Yeah. It, it was incredible, but. Like they probably like they had like ten years of fax machines, and they were like big when they came in, and then when they went, they just went.
1: Mm. Incredibly um, poor copies of documents that you wanted to send around the world. It was basically just readable. It was amazing that there were even sort of could be legal documents when they came out the other end. So. Yeah, the campaign was r- really quite simple in hindsight. But so all these people had fax machines, so we set up a um, built the idea that your fax machine was basically on it on its last legs. So it was a note from the fax machine. So uh, sorry, so a, a mass fax went out to all of these potential yeah. clients, but it was actually a letter um, from the fax machine saying, "I'm on my last legs." Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, really lovely sort of composed letter, beautiful, beautifully art directed. Considering that it had to come out the other end of the of the fax machine, and so basically uh, Seymour had actually informed, written something at that time. Seymour had yeah. actually sat down and written quite a lengthy piece of um, yeah. copy, very, very well. Right well on Seymour, and then you, yeah, and then we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how hey, you can make an act uh, effects actually look cool. And then that went on to I think I think that was a and D winning piece. Did piece you was, d- did you put a film together for that? No, we did not do a case study. It, it, was pre, it, it was pre. It was pre case study. Yeah. <laughs> then, it, would uh, it was
0: so, so case study because if, if you're on a jury and a, and a bit of paper comes across and you're
1: like, "There's no context," and you. No, no, but I think uh, I think we had a visual effects show. Sure. I think we found a way to, to bring that one to life. But that yeah. was, yeah. But that was actually the the probably the same time we were there. They were doing the Spates Great Beer Delivery. Beer delivery, yeah. And that was the first proper case study. In, in my yeah. memory of a, of actually having to put together a film to sell your yeah um your award entry and that was brilliantly created industry brilliantly done yeah and so that was my right about the same time I met my wife because she was the producer of space great Bear delivery and that was probably the also the first time we sort of understood that activations could be amazing and have real scale and we need to start thinking about activations from the point of view of not just something small in New Zealand but yeah. um, something really big that could that that happen was around the world. that was e- extraordinary.
0: It's it's one mm. of those things that that if a junior team comes up, we go, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Mm. And then somehow, I'm guessing because of Nick's relationship with the client, that they didn't make it happen. Mm. And I think I'm right in saying, I think I think Nick maybe told me this or, or someone involved in it that that after the, after it had happened, the
1: client said, never again. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was logistically a mess of nightmare. Yeah. Um, from memory
0: yeah. um, for uh, again children this was Spates took a pub to London
1: Yes. Yeah, a pub Spates. on a
0: boat to London which is just uh, incredible I was
1: completely yeah. in awe of that literally built built a pub and I assume it was built down to chucked it on a or was Ukrainian. it just like a cabin painted, looked like a pub? Which no, would have it was, been fine. It was be- beautifully done, yeah. beautifully done. I think it was put it on a Ukrainian fishing trawler or something yeah. like that. It was something. Um, so who organised that? Was that Sasha? Was so Sasha, that? yeah, Sasha oh. organised all of that, and then and then I think the idea was, you know, it was it was sold on one of those classic ideas of every day there'll be this amazing content that people want to watch on online, and of course, you know, a bunch of Ukrainians and and some poor poor bastards from Southland who've been trapped on a and a f- sort of floating pub, they, they don't have a lot to. They don't have a lot to do. There's not a lot of yeah. fun they can have for sort of ninety days as they sort of chug slowly towards London. So I think that was probably the lo- logistical part was pretty hard. And I think it's really good lesson in in understanding the the role of PR based creative ideas. Yeah. You know, like you have this you have this PR spike. It rides a media a media wave, and you know that is actually already a predetermined amount of time. It's about forty eight hours for any any one idea and that's basically just how the media covers a the story they only cover it for 48 hours until mm. there's something else something else happens so from you know if the pub if the ship had sunk that would have got another 48 hours but it was hard to get another another spike and I think the big problem they had was it was the pub was arriving in time for the final of the World Cup and the All Blacks Rugby World Cup and the All Blacks got knocked out so
0: in Cardiff by France
1: yeah, and so all the uh, Kiwis who were supposed to come down to the pub, as it was, it was amazing. It was moored on the side of the Thames. How did, that, um, like,
0: did Sasha again organise yeah. the, the mooring space on the side of the Thames? Cause yeah, that couldn't absolutely. Be
1: she had to radio, I think, coming up the Thames on the freighter, whatever it was, with the pub on the top, she had to radio London Bridge to have the bridge raised. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, but behind the scenes Sorry,
0: so to what extent was it
1: your campaign just no that was um I think that was really was a Nick uh, that was a Nick idea yeah that entire that's campaign. dumb and only Nick could have thought up something so dumb and got it through yeah I mean absolutely I mean I remember at the time watching Nick in in a meeting with a client and how he would sell an idea and going this is just 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 brilliant yeah it's just conveying I mean it was a combination of I'm from London. You know, well, generally, I've got, an, <laughs> I've got a fantastic accent, and I've made these things in the in the past, and and just confidence never never it's worked a, for me. But <laughs> it was just a confidence that no, yeah, it was hard to argue with. Yeah, and you know, and I suppose if <laughs> if the client, yeah, we get,
0: we're going to put going to send a pub to London, that's yeah. hard to argue with. Yeah,
1: it's, well, it's, I think it was easy for the client to always say stink. yes in the sense that uh, by the time we get into logistics, it's never going to happen. Yeah, um, the moment they said yes, that was that was the the trap it was like
0: because when the senior guy says yes th- like the guys below are like oh fuck no. well and i, th- and I we've think we got to do the work
1: the culture of mojo is so can do you know it's like right we've got a yes right now we're just gonna well you said yes and we've made this happen and we're making this happen now making this mm. i think that was kind of the magic of the place if you get a yes i think a client would would assume something would fall over at some point but it just wouldn't it was just um and i think that was yeah that was a really good lesson in you know, the idea is one thing, but you've got to make the damn thing happen. Yeah, and that's just about being really determined, really, really, just finding a, finding a way all the time, being flexible every time there's a there's a barrier. You've got
0: yeah, to I, I absolutely agree. The there's all through. like students or, or or guys will come up with stuff that as you know, interesting as sending a, a pub
1: mm. to the UK, but yeah, how's it how's it going to happen? Yeah, how's it's going it to happen? happen. I think that's a great always been the great culture in New Zealand like when we were at Generator you know we'd have a, a great idea for something some sort of a, a sort of stunty piece of outdoor around town and, it, and you know in the end the client wasn't going to pay for it all you needed was a yes and then you know you'd find yourself cutting out the posters yourself and and sticking them to power poles around town and then taking shots of your of your outdoor campaign and sending yep. it to DNAD and you know while it was scammy it was actually just teaching you that you have to own the concept you've got to get it done if you want to uh
0: yeah, I, I think yeah. that's another good lesson for any students out there is that you you, you have to get, get off your arse and do these things. Mm. Um, yeah, Michael and I were working in London, putting, strapping um, washing machines onto the side of billboards for a, a campaign. And it was us doing it because mm. no one else was going to do it. And that was in London when they are supposed to have big budgets.
2: Ooh. S-O.
1: Ooh.
0: But anyway, um, then you went to Australia?
1: Then I went off to Australia. I went to Saatchi's to work for my co. So it was a freelancer. I think I kind of went in there for a week's work and then stayed for seven or eight months or something like that. And that was really good. That was um, the time who was in there. It was like Maddie Maddie and Dave. Yeah. Jay and Andy. Yeah. And Dave, Jay and Andy. Um, Andy Delallo, uh, Matt Delillo. and Dave. Who are now? Were they Facebook or are they? Google? Yeah, they're on Facebook, Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, e- ECDs to Facebook. Jay Benjamin. I don't know. Yeah. I think he started his own agency back in the US. Man, he went out to. He was working with Smarty at Suchus New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was ECD of, of yeah Suchus New York there for a bit. Then, oh, there's a bunch of other people. It was a. It was a really good. It was another really good crew, um, and lots of big. TV was going through at the time, lots of big big beer uh, campaigns, lots of things for what was Telecom, Toyota, lots of chocolate milk for some reason, I can't remember, Yellow Pages. Yeah, there was a hell of a lot of good. It was one of those, one, uh, probably one of those times when there were lots of big budgets and lots of big brands, and although <coughs> all the teams were enormously competitive, there was enough to go around.
0: Yeah, I um, think I think that, uh, so Sarch's Wellington was, was New Zealand advertising for a mm. long time, and that moved up culture to a to a certain extent and the then the business certainly moved up to Auckland and Sarches. Auckland was booming for a time mm. and it's kind of fallen the back since then so.
1: yeah there was i think there was yeah there was probably a bit of a cultural issue in there that we couldn't quite see from the creative department but but yeah no that was a good good agency at the time and then I got the um offered the role of um head of art at Saatchi's um but at the same time I got offered my first CD role credit director role at Lowe which was a sort of oh, strange agency yeah. that I didn't really know anything about and they had two really good clients which was Lotteries and Vodafone so we went in there pulled in James Herman as a creative partner because he was a really good strategist that I knew from Mojo and had a really good Created Benton was a pretty good and could write pretty well. What we sort of didn't know is that there were two CEOs in that business, um, and the business when it got sold to Lowe, they had an earnout, and the CEO had had been running the business for the bulk of the time had actually left the building. So yeah, it was an interesting and the one who had the relationship with Lotto and Vodafone left the building. So yeah. it was an interesting time. So we, it and it was a good move in the in the sense that yeah every. Very interesting agency experiences um, is kind of invaluable at some point. But from a long-term career point of view, low was not going anywhere. How long business. were you there? I think that was a, probably about two years, maybe just under two years. And yeah, that no, was good. It was good, good in a lot of respects. But I, mean, I think the interesting thing is the more more chaotic the agencies you work in, um, you well, you learn two things. So in a, in a stable agency, you learn your, your creative craft. Yeah. In an unstable one, you learn the business, um, which is quite quite interesting. And you learn a hell of a lot more about client relationships when things are unstable than you do um, when things are stable because you see either how people manage things, incredibly difficult situations, incredibly badly, or difficult situations, incredibly well.
0: Tell me if I'm wrong. There was a, there was a campaign for Lotto that got pulled.
1: Was that right? Uh... The advisor? Yes, so that was before... So basically... That I think when load won the business and there was some sort of relationship in there, yeah, um, won the business, put out this awful campaign for what was traditionally a really creative client, um, and then I got hired to and James to come in and create the next campaign in order to save the um, to save the relationship. We didn't know that that was the case though, so we we came in the door, so we weren't quite aware that it was that reliant on. The work that we were doing, so mm. I think we did a instant kiwi campaign, which was the first one we That's did. What skiing? Then,
0: was it? To, skiing? Oh, I'm no. seeing snow in the crystal. Ball. There's
1: snow. There was snow. It was a. I think that there was a right, few okay, executions. Snow. I think that one was something to do with a yeti. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the greatest instant kiwi campaign. I can I can tell you that much. But it was cool. It was good fun to work on, and it was a good um, yeah, it was a definitely a good experience. In there. And then the other creative client that we had was Vodafone. Probably the best piece of work we created in that time was a so sort of a retail offer that came out of Japan called something like Love Love Vodafone or something. And it was a, you had a $6 monthly bill. Nominate one individual and you could call and text them as much as you can. So we came, we named the, we had to name the product, design the product, and it was called Best Mates. Yes. And then we created a campaign for that, which was, yeah, my first experience of probably taking all the, Everything that we'd, we'd learnt at Mojo from how to do retail and brand at the same time, but with an enormous budget into retail brands. So it was a 60-second retail commercial yeah. um, for Bestmates. And it was... Best Mate. I think, is actually still a product today. And so that would have been, like, 2006. And it's still, to this day, the most successful Vodafone thing they've ever done. So whenever you see Vodafone coming up for pictures, it regularly, regularly does. They wander around with this chart, and on the chart there's a massive... Spike, which is best mates, in, the, in every pitch I've ever come across for Vodafone, that's always referred to as, you know, we'd like to get back to this sort of place one day. Did you work with, um, or did you
0: come across Lionel Hunt when you were at Lowe?
1: He... I met Lionel Hunt once. He's, yeah, it's an interesting kind of chap. But I think during that period at Lowe, the way I kind of understood it was Lionel kind of had sold out of everything. I don't think he had any commercial interest in the, in the right. business. He was sort of a figurehead. Chairman of um, some kind, and he would kind of fly in to um, solve problems. So Vodafone campaign came out, two campaigns came out for Vodafone that went really well. Then there was a new marketing manager, head of marketing. um, um, But we were within two weeks, the whole business was up for pitch. And I think our view of it at the time was, this can't possibly be happening. Someone at Vodafone will figure this out and this pitch will be, be called off. And we've just done two fantastic campaigns that have worked the nuts off for the client. But no, the pitch continued and then I think the business ended up going to Colenso. But this, in classic sort of mad ad, ad fashion, the note went out to the sort of low network saying, you know, Vodafone, um, which is a very big account at the time, is in jeopardy in New Zealand, someone help. So we got sent this guy from Hong Kong and the first sign of trouble was we got a phone call from his PA in Hong Kong saying, can you make sure that there's a limousine from the airport? Mm. And I think the response is, oh yeah, sure, there'll just you know, there'll be a silver cab or whatever it is, just, you know, corporate cab. Yeah. Mm. And then she said, we've looked at corporate cabs on the internet, no, no, it needs to be an actual limousine. Uh, okay, this is gonna. This is getting strange. Mm. Really. So this guy showed up. He sort of rocked into the agency. He was all sort of sw- swept back here, like sort of Gordon Gecko, but quite short and had a real issue. And he had a massive open shirt and with a huge green ticky hanging down. Um, so he was a really odd character. He came up with the plan to retain the business once we'd sort of told the backstory. Came up with the idea to retain the business was to. Take the client out, get a whole lot of uh, strippers, ply him with Class A substances, and then take photos. Um, and we literally <laughs> just sat in this meeting, going, "That's an cannot, I, strategy." I cannot believe that this is that this is a conversation. We've, this guy's been sent to us by the Lonely Network. He's insane. He's hmm. s- strange, weird dictator of a character. He's got a giant techie, and he's sitting in the meeting telling us to, yeah, uh, to, to frame the client. So, so that was so really weird. That was really, really weird. No, we yeah. said, oh, "Look, mate, if you can make that, that that happen over here, you over there, you go and you go and do that. We'll we'll just stick with trying to win the yeah. when the pitch with some good creative ideas." Then the next thing that happened is he flew in Andy Lish, who was an old mate from from somewhere, and you probably would come across Andy Lish. Oh, Lushy, yeah. Lishy. and so Lushy is a brilliant creative, but. But dropping him into this situation is probably not, not ideal. Brilliant, hugely so, talented, yeah. bit wayward, not. bit, not, bit not. wayward. Um, so that. So I. Th- I remember. So the work went from being on track, where we had, you know, the same sort of work that we'd already been really successful with, into this really strange and twisted LSD experience. And then the next thing that happened was he would hired all of Hooker Lodge for a weekend. And then he pr- you know, promptly basically to take all of the Vodafone senior management to Hooker Lodge and obviously win them over or maybe play them all with some sort of hookers,
0: hookers, hookers. hookers. <laughs> at Hooker Lodge
1: and take photographs and I'm not sure what his plan was. So he spent $40,000 of sort of agency money booking Hooker Lodge, paid cash. Then sent off these invites to everyone at Vodafone who promptly said, well, we can't possibly take you up on the offer because you're in the middle of a pitch. Hmm. So then the next thing that happens is there's an email that goes out to her, to all staff. Who would like to go to Hooker Lodge for the weekend? And we're, of course, actually trying no. to want a pitch and do some work, so no one's particularly keen, but we all get forced to go to Hooker Lodge. So that was pretty weird. And then the next weekend, he then hired a house, $10,000 house on Waiheke for a brainstorm, which uh, James Herman and I were forced to sort of attend, which was just some sort of strange drunken... Well, basically, where James and I sort of sat sober and watched two very drunk men stagger around a house, sticking yellow poster notes to walls and talking nonsensically until the ferry, till the ferry, uh, turned up and we could escape back to Auckland. It was yeah. it was a brilliant, yeah, it was, brilliant experience in all of the wrong parts of of advertising under pressure. It was, freaking it was brilliant to watch.
0: Right, I'm currently in the process of writing um, a book about the, the absurdities, some of the absurdities of advertising, and I wish I'd
1: had some of these <laughs> stories because they, yeah, they'd amazing. be in there. That was absolutely amazing.
0: This is getting real interesting.
2: You're listening to Truth and
1: Soul. 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 Then I got the offer to go to Sydney to start a creative agency on the uh, side of a media agency. Hmm. And that media agency was called Razor, and they were basically like the naked model. Um, so kind of pretty much just as naked was, was coming out, um, Razor had... Were they
0: ex-Mojo guys?
1: who started? They were ex-Mojo guys, but they, they were Mojo guys from who were about 10 years older than me, so I'd never actually met them. So back in the day, Mojo used to send their sort of talented um, Australians into Auckland for kind of training, develop their skills, and then they'd send them back, back to Australia. And these are two of the guys who'd been in prior to, to me coming up from Wellington. Andrew Wynne and Simon Rush. Um, so he was amazing strategist, Rushy great. Um, media planner. Both just, yeah, really, really bright, really charming. Clients love them. And they built this fantastic media business really quick. And as part of the media business they kept getting offered creative contracts and then putting them out to freelance. And so at the same time as they had established their business this agency called Three Drunk Monkeys had appeared on the yep. scene and so they kept f- sending off work off to Three Drunk Monkeys for freelance and the monkeys would then rep would try and steal the steal the actual account. So mm. that's why they, that was their motivation to set up a creative business. So went over there, did that for um, four years and we built a really good business over there. We had uh, Nike, Subaru, SBS, which is the, a big Multicultural TV station, state-funded. Um, a really, really interesting station. We probably don't have the equivalent of that in, in New Zealand. And then we had sort of News, News Corp and, yeah, a really good mix of big big clients. And we built that to about 65 staff. Probably the best favourite work from that period is we won gold at the one show for SBS IDENT series. So basically yeah. really beautifully designed of art directed concept around inspiration that we kind of created for them. and that was very cool and then then another gold for i think a gold line for nike for she runs the night which is this very cool campaign about taking the ownership back of uh, of parks at night so the woman um so women were mortally afraid of running basically after 7 p.m and any parks around sydney and this sort of and this was a whole campaign about running in groups and confidence and the ability to go out and and train at night and that was very cool and then during that time sasha and i got married so we lived in just lived around from bondi but we got married and then we decided well, we probably want to have kids so it was time to come back to new zealand and we sold up came back and then um took the role at y which was an agency that all the all the talented left the building including you paul um over time and so it was a pretty odd place and we sort of arrived in there and the plan was like it was probably probably buggered but it'll pay the bills for sort of 18 months and then we'll start another agency another um independent agency but then we had kids and kids take up quite a of time and you don't get any sleep that's so why i've avoided them. these things could have couldn't really yeah things didn't quite pan out um but then the agency we sort of got it on track moved to the moved the whole office over to City Works Depot and set up a much. And, it, and that changed the culture. We just managed to you know, find a, a great location that wasn't so sort of corporate and mm. mystery. Uh, um, not, not mysterious, but um, sad that, full that of ghosts. <clears throat> the,
0: the Parnell Corner, <coughs> I, I didn't actually spend that long there because I was over in in um, Melbourne most of the time. But that that, yeah. that corner, yeah, just...
1: Horrible. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's the same architect who designed the CCTV building that collapsed and. Yeah, Christchurch. Whenever I'd watch the sort of footage of what that building looked like they're remarkably similar. Um, yeah, it was just a, it just had a, a very bad vibe to it, that building. And I, and I think probably the worst, worst thing was probably the first day when I turned up and we were still using spray glue for, for mounting things and for presentations and I got taken to the spray glue booth which was four floors down in the basement and on the way down um, every single floor was, was empty. Hmm. and it was explained to me that the agency used to be all four floors, but the spray booth had never been moved, so <laughs> every time you went to spray glue something, you had to be faced with the, um, the, the shrinking carcass so of a
0: business. Are they paying rent for all the floors? Or they...
1: No, I, I, I don't know. They were all empty, so maybe mm-hmm. we're, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. So, yeah, so we moved that agency. We started to win um, more business, and I, I started to hire really good people, was able to hire really good people. It was pretty, pretty damn hard at the beginning, and then the business started to go really well. And so at that time, yeah. you were CEO and ECD.
0: Because mm. I, because so I, wrote... I came in
1: as, as ECD, and then and then yeah, there, it was a bit of a. It, uh, there was just some legacy, staffing issues in that in that building. There was you know there was basically no creatives, um, but there was six or seven people in the finance department. There was a whole lot of media who were doing a great job and, and probably keeping the business alive. But there w- there was actually no resource to to actually pitch on a on a business on a client at all of any of any real scale. There's just nothing there. It was quite amazing. Like we, there was no production facility producer at all. There was a two day a week producer who worked on I think Posty of all clients. And the clients that were still there were so they were, they were just the ones that were just too lazy to leave. There was anyone there was not one client with any ambition whatsoever inside that building it was quite terrifying or any staff really aside from in media I would say mm-hmm. with any ambition to do anything and we needed to hire creative so yeah we ended up the role got offered to me as you can do the CEO role which is and that's because my time in Sydney we, it was a we started the business so you were doing everything from day one anyway so yep. the, we understood you know understood the numbers how the business worked how to how to recruit and how to um extract a good margin and you know how to negotiate and there was all, all those abilities were kind of there and it meant that i could take the salary that we were paying for the ceo at the time and actually hire some staff so people who were going to be on the tools so that yeah that that went really well From the point where we brought in tom Payne, brought in maria ward who were both really really good creatives and then finally we had sort of enough of a of a quarter, to actually start to pitch, pitch and win. And yeah, and because it wasn't a big business, I think mean the CEO didn't really mean a hell of a lot. There wasn't mm. a huge there wasn't a huge number of responsibilities, there was just a lot of, it's a bit of reporting in bits and pieces. But then as the business grew and the agency became successful, then suddenly that turned into an actual role. Yes. where You get a lot of focus from, from around the globe, a lot of requests, a lot of reporting, what are you guys doing, can you help out on this? And the problem was that we were probably one of the few y in the world that was actually growing in and winning awards and doing work that was of interest, um, while the rest of the network was kind of caving in. Um, yeah. So you rapidly went from an agency that no one cared about or paid any attention to, just suddenly an actual, uh, re- seen as a resource that could be used for pitches all around the world.
0: What, were you getting paid for those pictures? No,
1: not at all. Yeah. Um, and we're expected to spend a hell of a lot of time in Australia and all that sort of thing, and or. Yeah, you know, we need you to come up to New York and help on this. And it, and I think it's that old school mentality of, oh, we'll get the New Zealanders. They'll be so excited about a trip to Manhattan. Um, mm. They'll come up. They'll drop everything and they'll come out. And it's like, well, actually, quite busy. <laughs> we've got a, we're quite busy and we've got a really good business and we've got really good clients. So we're actually we don't need to pitch right now. We we need to deliver to the clients that we spend a lot of time working with and building relationships with. So yeah, you ended up everyone started getting. Pulled in a whole lot of directions, and it's not, it's just, you know, we're just so far away from from the rest of the world. Like, you know, that travel gets very unglamorous very, very quickly. Yes, yeah, like one to me, for me, like one, one every six months
0: is kind of time, any more
1: than that. And anyway. you're yeah. like, no, I don't, I, yeah, we spent so many time, so much time on planes during that period that probably Tom Payne and I and Jono Key, so much time on planes that were like. <laughs> mm. Literally, just didn't want to travel anymore. It was mm. just you're just broken, and you're not yourself. Like you know, you fly to New York and and you're not yourself for three days. So if yeah. you jump into a meeting at eight a.m., you're just speaking complete nonsense mm. on the on the first day. I don't need to go to New York to have that experience. <laughs> no. So yeah, that it was a really good it was a really good seven years in, Whiner, in a lot of respects. But just yeah, I, I mean, if Whiner had been a been another network banner, it probably would i probably still be there, but that particular network was just an unhappy place. Why I,
0: I I don't know if you read, I wrote an article about... I did read your article. I, I, I don't know what you... <laughs> I, I don't know how to, how to put this diplomatically or not diplomatically, but why not just... Oh, it, just it just seemed on a decline. It just never seemed to... No. Uh, and I'm not talking about New Zealand, yeah. I'm talking about the network. Yeah, totally,
1: no, I think the real the real issue in there is, I, th- I think you get to a you you've got a great business in New Zealand. Then when you go to Australia, you expect to meet people who are doing things probably a little bit better than you are. It's a little yeah. bit bigger, bigger market, but blah, but blah, 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 which just wasn't the case. And then you would get to New York, and you'd expect them to be, you know, your global CCO to be this amazing character with these great ideas, and it just wasn't the case. And and I think you you rapidly realise that. The reason everyone was focusing on the and your little agency in New Zealand is because they were actually leading the, leading the way in the network, and that's the last thing, you want because you want to learn. You know, like yeah, you're, you're constantly going. Well, I want to, I want to learn from the guy above me. You want to learn from that guy, da da da. But there was no one above you, who had been making, ads or successful yeah. advertising any time in the last twenty years. Yeah, our conversation was endlessly about um, award-winning double-page spreads. When we went to New York, and we were just like, we don't even do double-page spreads, and mm. it's not even a thing. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was terrifying. And you know, and like Tony is a lovely guy, but yeah, I mean, I think when we were doing McWhopper, he was busy telling us what everything that was wrong with it. Um, yeah. Afterwards, he was telling us how brilliant an idea, an idea it was that he'd come up with. You know, it was just nonsense. So yeah. it was, it was a very hard. Um,
0: how, how yeah, did um, McWhopper come movie. about? How did
1: that? Uh, McWhopper was... Uh, the, the original McWhopper was a bottom-draw idea of Tom Pate, and then it popped out in a meeting at YR and and we had Burger King as a media client. And so James Herman went off to a, a meeting about something else at Burger King and mentioned this creative idea and managed to talk James Woodbridge, the...
0: CMO, he, was ex, he was
1: ex-McDonald's. One. He was ex-McDonald's, into a into a meeting. So he kind of lulled them into a meeting where we were going to loosely talk about this small idea about not, nothing much. Um, meanwhile, we'd built a massive presentation to, to surprise them with. So it was a huge presentation. He left that meeting basically saying it's the best idea I've ever seen. And then it rapidly vanished into nothing. So we kind of kept pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. And eventually, he gave us the email address for this new global, no, I think North American CMO Fernando Machado. So then we built.
0: It, was he from the Philippines?
1: No, he's Brazilian. Brazilian. Okay. Yeah. So then we built a video, sell video of the of the concepts, and yeah, and it's it's one of those great ideas. Like every every conversation about the the concepts. It got better, and it got better, and it got better. You're listening to Truth and Soul, the New Zealand advertising podcast. Um, so then it all got put to bed. It was sort of like, just wasn't really going anywhere. And then, yeah, and then we sent this thing off to Fernando. So we, you know, we spent a lot of time crafting the the cell video. Jono, Tom and I you know, sat around the computer. We wrote, the, compiled this email, sent it off, sent the link. And within 40 minutes we've got, we've still got a screenshot of it today, we got this sort of 72-point uppercase email back from Fernando in bright red saying this is the best fucking idea I've ever seen. Um, we are definitely making this. How, when can we get on a Skype call? I want to meet you guys, blah, 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 blah. And that was, yeah, we spent a lot of time staring at that email.
0: I was going to say, the, the fighting and the, the determination that you guys showed to get that through with, when you kept getting knocked back is, mm. is, is extraordinary and dare I say that probably I would have pulled the plug long ago and gone oh this is just too hard mm. but you know that's why, it's why you're very successful in, in what you do but it comes down to a client going "Bucket, yeah, that's what we're going to do and I, I've never met um, Fer- Fernando Fernando but I've heard I've heard of him, and and uh, he's held in very high regard as a as a great client and a champion of creativity. Oh,
1: ma- amazing guy. And I think probably the other thing that people probably don't realise when it comes to Fernando is uh, you want a client who loves a who loves a, con- a creative idea and will back it. But he's also very creative. So when you're working with him, he he's not an art director, he's not a copywriter. Um, but from a strategic point of view, he's very very smart at understanding which. Elements of your campaign need to be focused on which bits you can grow yeah. which bits you can. and I think that's and in that world of PR and social like he's he's got incredibly good connections and now a, a Wealth of case studies of exactly how you yeah. make something Not vi- like viral is sort of a dirty word, but how you make something incredibly popular Yeah, and part of the and part of the culture and so he was fantastic at connecting us to different agencies like we used um, code and theory in in new york and from a social point of view like i've never you know we just had never had the budgets to to deal with these sorts of agencies before that, but they were just so focused on social content and pushing it out and and to be honest they weren't really creating a lot of social content it was more the fact that they had very good connections for pushing out the content that we were creating mm. um which is very hard to do from from new zealand you know you just there's just you know we talk about influencers here and they've got you know two and a half thousand followers or whatever it is you know they're, they're just in the greater hamilton area yes exactly i mean there's just very and especially at that time when there was not so much quite, quite so much cynicism around influences and they're just really really well connected yeah cultural icons you're talking to the cultural icon you're not talking to yeah janice from hmm. typically yeah that was cool that was quite amazing but yeah no to, to your point like creative big clients who are really really smart and massive um, champions of creative art they just seem hard to find yeah but you know? uh, behind every every great
0: campaign you that, that you'll find that I, I think there's there's a lot of great campaigns mm. thought up by um, smart people all over the world but very few of them get to see the light of the day because they need to have someone on the client side with vision and yeah, and the, the way to get it through so that that Campaign w- went on to be, was that, uh, won millions of awards at Cannes Grand Prix? Yeah, I think it
1: was about. The most awarded of the year? 20 something lines yeah. in the end, two Grand Prix.
0: Yeah. So you you yeah. were up, you went to, uh, you, you were at Cannes for that week?
1: Yep. Yeah, Ging you very, were. Ging Ging you were some bit. You were judging as well or just celebrating? Um. No, I think that week we were lucky enough to not have to judge at the same time. <laughs> that's the great there. thing about Camden. Yeah, just don't want to be judging. No, but it was a very messy week. But yeah, no, it's a funny, it's a, it's an amazing experience when you've, when you've got a, one of the ideas of the of, of the year. Of, of the year. Um, and we flew to a lot of places. I think Tom and I flew to London for 24 hours to go to DNAD.
0: How was that? With did you meet up with people that you knew from London before?
1: Uh, yeah, well, we met up with. We sort of went to the pub and caught up with our like London mates and that sort of stuff, and then went off to the show and mainly caught up with other other agencies who had participated. So the, there's yeah. an amazing agency called Duckworth Turner Duckworth, and they're amazing designers. Like I mean, you, yeah, just the breadth of the
0: how did they get involved
1: of the work? They have the global contract for ah. design. So we had uh, James Wendelborn, our. Head of design had designed amazing packaging. And to this day, I'd still argue with Fernando that our packaging was better than Turner Douglas. But yeah. theirs was very, very, um, it was very, very good. So they won. I think they might have won a line for, or they definitely won a pencil for design. So we caught up with them and yeah, we had a great night. And then, and actually, it was a, it was a um, big night for Colenso as well. So there was. Um, at DNAD. At DNAD. What so was there was a for? bunch of the Colenso guys. Ah, uh, there would have been Pedigree. A few bit species. I think they and I think the evening started off with Colenso, I I think got about three pencils before we'd got one. And then there's a photograph somewhere of Dave Brady giving giving me the fingers from across the table when I think we ended up with about seven
0: hmm.
1: yellow pencils and then the agency of the year. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it was great. It was yeah, good. For, I mean, they were doing really well. We were doing really. It was good. It was a great fun night. Uh,
0: really and and would, were London guys coming across and going good on your Kiwis? Or oh, they... totally.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it was. Um, it was. A, it was actually a much nicer show than going to going to because you're sitting at a sitting at a table. You had a you had a beer. It wasn't yeah. 35 degrees, and everyone wasn't sweating madly. And and you didn't have to jump off on a really embarrassing stage like you have to do it at Can, which is quite kind of quite awkward. Yeah, it's just English. It's cooler. British please. Yeah British. Well. Yeah no it was um yeah no that was that was definitely a highlight but Tom and I I think it probably took at least two or three weeks to recover from that 24-hour trip and we crawled back into our seats on the Henny Zealand plane to come home and we were just broken. Yeah. Broken humans. I'm sure yeah. we we're I think we we're both crying yeah. from uh, just total exhaustion. And, and presumably luggage was a bit tricky because you yeah Oh no, well they were pencils, so Oh they wouldn't, if they're not wooden, too heavy. So yeah. no, it wasn't too bad. Um, and I think no awards wise, I think getting Khan Lines home uh, is the absolute nightmare. Um, yeah. they are just heinous, unwieldy. I know, okay, heavy okay. I can't things so many <laughs> <I don't> my <mind. laughs> I think Steve Kane almost lost the bottom of his suitcase on there. Yeah, tripped to, to can was sort of a plastic it looked like a robust suitcase, but I'm pretty sure at one stage there was a bit of line sticking through a hole in the one of the
0: uh, Richard, one of the cases. Um Richard Loseby and Pete Thompson from When we were up in South Korea and they and for some reason they gave them some swords as a, a, a like, I think it was a you know, instead of a line, they, got, they picked up a sword or for awesome. some, given a ceremonial sword for some reason. And they then had to explain, going through customs, why that they had two swords in there. <laughs> <in
1: their. laughs> okay. It was a little bit tricky, but they, they weren't arrested. The best, um, Tom Tom and I were discussing this the other day, the actual best looking award is a Kinsale shark. We, just, we decided. Very, like, super cool. It's like a little shark sticking out of the head out of the water. Not, probably not as coveted as a lot of other awards, but from well, a design I, point of view, I, I, it's actually cool. Know,
0: in London, um, Michael and I won a gold shot, which we didn't even know we were entered right. for. And um, so, so we never got a chance. It sounds like fun to go to Kinsale to.
1: Yeah. Oh, we were lamenting the thing Guinness we'd and never, oysters. We'd never entered on the Winer sort of ticket. Yeah, we could have. We had. I think the awards budget was pretty. Significant. We could have been anything we liked, but it didn't occur to us to. Uh, enter a well, I'm sure Tony Granger would have been quite happy. To. Oh, exactly. He probably was one. who said, "No, no can tell for you." He's probably still dining out on that. Yeah. Um, so, what, um, what
0: what advice would you give to anybody who's who sitting out there thinking, "Oh, I want to go and start my own agency"?
1: I think it's you. You can't do it by yourself. Like you've got to do it with a with a really good team, and we have. 12 partners in the core business, no, 13 in the core business. It's, you know, we've been working That's a together. lot
0: of salaries to start with.
1: It is. It was a lot of salaries. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first three months it was Kate and I, and then from January, I think January 15th, we had to pay the first salary bill with all, all 12 in there. So, no, it's been good. I and mean, I think you just need to, you've got to be able to run your numbers and you have to be honest with yourself, you know, and you could probably do what we've done with three or four people, but... Because we're a team that have been working together for so long, we just took the plant we weren't Like all, all thirteen of these people are, are awesome. We know we can. You, you um, trust each other. You know. Yeah. You know your strengths. You, Absolutely. We had yeah. a huge pitch last week against one big network, a couple of independents, bits and pieces, and it's just with those that group of people, we know we can. We can win a pitch against against anyone because we've just been working mm-hmm. with them for so long. You don't need a hundred people to do it. You just need twelve really good ones. Yeah.
0: Um. I'd, I'd, on that point josh um i'm going to stop you there for the very important reason that uh, i'm going fishing shortly this Mm. afternoon with james mckee i think you know
1: oh lovely james
0: so thank you so much for a great chat lovely to hear some of those stories and the background to the mcwhopper and Mm. best of luck with pitch black and partners Thank Going you. Forward. You've been listening to Truth and Soul,
1: the New Zealand advertising podcast.
0: Okay, list of credits. Thank you very much um, to this week's guest. Uh, if you liked it, uh, drop us a line uh, Paul at truthandsoul.co.nz. Thank you very much to everyone at Franklin Road, uh, Jonathan, Cole, uh, the Wastrel Shane, Vanessa, and Gracie. Uh, Otis who did the logo and uh, Matt Stalker who's going to play us out thank you
2: By the flickering spires of candlelight While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and turn Thoughts come not as single spies But in battalions While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and The family tree is losing its leaves Please forgive my trembling hands Crudely silhouetted by the flickering spires of candlelight and While the wicked sleep sound I won't, The anxious toss and turn Thoughts come not a single spice, But in battalion While the wicked sleep sound, the anxious toss and turn.